What up, everybody? Sultan of Strangles here. Um, today's guest is a very special guest. He's a fellow Iranian, Arash Sufiani. He was on the world team for judo and sambo. Um, and he is a very skilled martial artist as well, as well as a very skilled power lifter. Has a really cool story. Started a gym in the quarantine, just like me. Very decorated in a lot of tournaments and really funny for a lot of you uh, guys who listen to my dating podcasts. Um, he is a larger dude and he gets a lot of girls. So we, we talk about that too in this episode. It's a lot of fun. We talk about jujitsu, judo, picking up chicks uh, and a lot of fun stuff. I think you guys, I, this was easily one of my most fun, fulfilling episodes ever just because me and him have so much in common. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at K-O-O-L-R-A-K. Follow the school at Immortals Jiu-Jitsu. And also make sure to follow the podcast at Rambling with Rack. I have a scarf hold instructional that you can find on Teachable. The link is in my Instagram bio. It's called Sultan of Strangles Series Scarf Hold. It is $49.99 at the moment. The prices will be going up soon. All right, guys, I hope you have a wonderful day and enjoy the episode. All right, how's that? All right, all right. Um, is my sound coming in good? Yeah, it's coming in good. What about mine? Yours is perfect. Okay, perfect. All right, my own sound had been on man. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Sultan of Strangles here, aka the Kimura King, aka the Ayatollah of Ankle Locks. And today, I have a very special guest here with me, Arash Sufiani, a.k.a. the Saffron Sultan. He is a professional judoka, as well as a jiu-jitsu practitioner and a power lifter. So this is going to be an action-packed episode. Fellow Iranian as well, so we're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, tell us a little, give us a little intro. Should I plug your Instagram or you want to do all that? Uh, you can plug my Instagram. Go ahead. It's A-R-A-S-H underscore S-O-O-F-I-A-N-I. Anywhere else they could find you, Bubba? Uh, for now, that's it. But Awesome, man. Stay tuned. So so I got a couple. I made a little uh, Google Docs document, bunch of stuff I wanted to ask you. Mm -hmm. So you started your martial arts journey in judo if i'm not mistaken i actually started uh in karate when i was uh eight years old mm -hmm. so i started i started pretty young uh, uh, as a karate guy and then um i kept doing that until i was about 12 years old mm -hmm. and two years i took a break from all martial arts and i was i was actually in band no way yeah what, what type of band I, you know, like a uh, like high school band, middle school band. Okay. Clarinet, jazz, uh, saxophone. No and, way. Yeah, and then uh, when I was fourteen, I started wrestling. Okay. So this is freshman year of high school. Yeah. Okay. So then I wrestled, and then actually at the, the same time, uh, right after wrestling practice, there was a sambo and judo club in our wrestling room. Oh wow. Yeah. So the guy who was running it is, you know, my mentor and, and sensei, uh, Boris Brezhnev. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's the one who introduced me to the, to the gi, really. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. What an amazing story. So, um, so that means you started three sports when you were 14. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But they were all, it was all basically wrangling people, you know what I mean? So it all kind of fit together. Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and then, so did you continue to wrestle throughout your high school career or did you just say, fuck this, do it all? I kept, I kept wrestling. I wrestled all the way through uh, high school and uh, I actually really enjoyed wrestling. So at that point, it was the judo and the sambo was kind of something I did after wrestling season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like wrestling season would end end of March, uh, you know, like mid-March. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, all right, now it's time to shift into judo sambo mode. Nice. And then, you know, as as I, I neared my senior year, I was like, okay, how far can I go in wrestling? I didn't get that far at all. Mm-hmm. You know, just like uh, what past, weight were you? Uh, two eighty five. So I was a I was a heavyweight, but were I didn't weigh. Actual, you were an actual two eighty five or? No, I was actually uh, I started out two eighty five when I was a chubby freshman. Oh wow! And then, and then I lost like forty pounds. And then I pretty much wrestled between 245 and 255 my whole high school career. Oh, wow. Okay. And then, um, and then uh, yeah, so then senior year came around. Wrestling kind of finished. I made a last-ditch effort to try and walk onto the ASU wrestling team. So I moved What's out ASU? to Arizona. Arizona State University. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. And, you know, there were some heavy hitters out there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just... I, 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 was, I, was in a, I was on a mat with a bunch of lions, you know. And, uh-huh. Uh, cruel, cruel truth was that I wasn't that good at wrestling at the time and I just wasn't developed enough to make it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I moved back home and I got super serious about judo and sambo and I threw myself into it. Nice. And in reality, I feel like I was just delayed. Like I needed another two years to really get ready to wrestle men. You know what I mean? Okay. So, so then I trained and trained and I made the you know, Sambo national team. Oh, uh, wow. You know, I was a junior judo national team guy, so I'd, I would compete here and there. Uh-huh. And like, the, you know, the Pan-American circuit, nothing huge. And uh-huh. then um, and then Sambo, I won my first, like, World Cup medal when right. I was 19. Uh, and, you know, that was when I was like, all right, this there's something. I, I got something. I can do something. And uh, then I made a, two world teams that year. And then uh, you know, competed for the USA in Sambo and Judo ever since. That's amazing. Yeah. So when you say two world teams, you were on the Sambo and the Judo team? No, I mean, I, I was on the junior junior Sambo world team, and then I also made the worlds for, for the senior. You know, there was actually not that many heavyweights going for the senior heavyweight uh world title uh world championship so i made that team pretty easily you had to oh, fly nice. basically had to fly all the way to belarus so that was just kind of like a consolation and i was oh, still man. i was still technically a junior and then oh, wow. uh, yeah and then and then did they sponsor you or you had to find the sponsorship yourself um <clears throat> so i did have to i mean they did sponsor me for two of the trips but yeah we had to raise money by ourselves mm-hmm. so you know, um, we, we raised as much as we could, but some of it had to come out of our pockets. Oh, man. Yeah, man. A lot of people don't realize um, before you compete professionally, if you're like Olympian or you're on a world team, uh, I don't think they're allowed to have private sponsors or something like that. So you guys often have to 
uh, find that. I, I mean, the government doesn't sponsor you. Like yeah. in Russia, the government takes care of their athletes. Yeah, I should correct you. Actually, is like you're actually encouraged to find private sponsors. Yeah, so yeah, I'm the sorry. Whole, the whole the whole deal is like, um, the deal is that, uh, you know, if you're an individual athlete, unless you have already won, you know, a lot of international medals, you're going to be paying a lot of things out of your pocket because, like, you know, the federations don't want to support. I mean, don't have the money to support every single prospective talent. Yeah. They really only pay stipends and money to people who've already made it. So if you're like trying to gain momentum, man, the one thing I could tell you is like get really good at being a people person and raising money. Yeah. Like if you don't, you're going to, you know, as hardcore and like I'm about the sport, man. I'm not about, you know, Mm -hmm. well, it's a, it's a skill that you need to cultivate. It's a must. Yeah. I get so much shit for uh, my social media. They're like, bro, you, you post too much. You're way too flashy. You got to be about the samurai lifestyle, bro. Yeah. You got to just put your head down, bro. And just work hard. Samurai lifestyle. Meanwhile, the people who say this to me are always usually broke, unemployed and um, just not successful. Well, they, they live like they live like a samurai inside of a stable, you know, and exactly. the, the thing is, like, life has changed a lot. And actually, if you were going to be, you know, in the spirit of of jujitsu or judo, like one of the tenets is Jita Kyohei, which is mutual welfare and benefit. And you can't be in a position to help others if you don't take care of yourself. And so so I think self-promotion is huge. It's part of it's part of the. It's part of how you're going to grow your sport and how you're going to grow yourself so that you can be in a position to help others. Exactly. So 100% I mean, agree with you on that one. Like the samurai mentality is cool and all. I mean, actually, it's, you know, all, both these sports are come from the samurai. But part of that is also being able to take care of yourself and your own. And so if you're, you know, if you're too humble, I mean... Dude, so the, the the samurai weren't exactly humble guys either. Some people, no. <laughs> some people, some people forget that like when you're the most badass dude in town, you know, like some of the reason why people wanted to do these badass things was so that they could, you know, get popular with chicks and stuff. <laughs> like, man, <come laughs> on. there were still meatheads back in feudal Japan. I know. All right, and they, like, we, we're not reinventing the wheel here. Yeah, I agree with you. We're going to get it. I want to get into the school later, but you and me are pretty good examples. Like we work hard. We promote ourselves. We opened a place now where we're able to help many people because Mm -hmm. of that. Meanwhile, the other guy with the samurai lifestyle, putting his head down and all that doesn't really accomplish anything, only really helping themselves. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you do put yourself out there, you're opening doors for yourself and other people. So self-promotion is super important. Yeah. Also, I think a a lot of it, it might be people shirking in a responsibility, not, not necessarily because it's in front of them because they don't want to accept, assume it yet, you know, and it's, it it rolls back into like, am I worthy? It's like, no, dude, you just have to practice being out there and out there and, um, and accepting, pressure you know Mm -hmm. people can't handle it that's why like it's way easier to be humble of course it is yeah because if you win or lose no one cares no one exactly 
Yeah. Um, so let's see. We covered judo, sambo. Um, now I want to hear jujitsu. By the way, I, I love watching your matches <laughs> because in the fucking heavyweight division of jujitsu, it's just that the stand up is so bad. Like oh these fucking guys just collar tie each other, and sometimes you'll see an entire match with, with no attacks, just collar tying. Yeah, um, and it was so fun to just watch you fucking toss <laughs> people in midair. It was beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, man. I, honestly, I wasn't expecting that much passivity. Like, Dude, was... it's a real big problem in in the heavyweight uh, division of jujitsu. That's why I think you're gonna make some really. You, I think you're gonna get extremely far when people see a super athletic guy throwing people around. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I appreciate that, man, because, like, I, I'm excited, too, mostly because, you know, I think that jujitsu is actually the, like, as a as a sport, it's probably not as dynamic or fun to look at as, like, a judo, but as a, as a martial art, it's totally, it's whole looking, you know, like, if I throw somebody in judo and I throw them right to their back, I win, I score. And it mm -hmm. looks really cool and dynamic, mm -hmm. but I've been having fun, like making my throws actually effective, like putting me in the position to do a submission. Because if, even if I get a beautiful throw off, mm -hmm. I may be exposing my back and get choked out. Yeah, that's what happens to me all the time. So, yeah. So I've been, main... I've been, I've been really enjoying like, all right, I know how to score big in judo. But how can I adapt that to to score in jujitsu, but also be in a literally combatively effective way to finish my opponent. Exactly. Which is which brings me to my next topic, but and it's gonna be kind of hard because I don't think people know the judo names. Mm -hmm. If you could let the listeners know, what would you say are the most effective judo throws for jujitsu? First, with the mm -hmm. gi, and second, if you could tell us what are the most effective judo throws for no gi. Me, as a non-professional judo guy, I'd say the Uchimata works great for me. The Harayagoshi works great for me. And um, the other ones, I'm not sure what the names. Oh, uh, Seonagi does not work. Mm. I get my back taken. So if you could tell us some stuff, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, you know, um, I think anything. I mean, John Donner was just talking about this, and I, I love him as a resource because mm -hmm. like, he really respects the art. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, like you, you have to think about, all right, how how does my throw affect my back position after mm -hmm. the throw? How does it affect, you know, uh, how exposed my neck is if I fail, mm -hmm. you know, and then also like, can the guy shoot in on me after I try the throw? Mm -hmm. So like there's there's a lot. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of those are the th main three that you should be thinking about. Is like mm -hmm. back, neck, and then if the guy can grab my leg, mm -hmm. and it, can I finish the throw still? So I would, I would, I recommend everybody do forward. Like you know, the first thing I would teach somebody in in gi jiu jitsu is a forward throw, so like a ochigari, which is an mm -hmm. inside leg trip, mm -hmm. right? And then you have koji so like inside leg trip, but on the opposite leg. So mm -hmm. if you're right leg forward, you'd be tripping the guy's left leg, and then koji would be tripping the guy's right leg, kind of uh -huh. like sweeping inside. Uh, any sweeping techniques. And then uh, the Ouchigari is nice, though, because you can go from an Ouchi, hop, hop, step forward, and then turn it into an Uchimata. And you pretty much land in side control if you're smart about it. Yeah. Or in a half guard. 
And uh, so th- those are the ones that I really recommend. Um, any kind of trips, but anything where your front is still facing the guy. Um, Haragoshi is kind of is cool too, but if you're turning your hips all the way through and you're sweeping that guy's uh, uh, far leg or mm-hmm. reaping that guy's far leg, you have to pay attention to how quickly do you face forward again. So yeah. That, so that, you know, you, you can get in a good position. Yeah, because he could get a body lock from there sometimes. And sure. Backwards. And yeah, you'll maybe you'll roll through a throw, but um, you know you're in a bad position. And then in nogi, right? You you asked about nogi too. Yeah. Mm, I would say nogi overhooks are going to be your friend. Overhooks and underhooks, mm-hmm. um, unless you're at the beginning of the match and you can get a collar tie and an elbow or a wrist. Mm-hmm. Um, man, definitely uchimata from the overhook because mm-hmm. if the guy shoots in in a single. Like, I just threw a guy at the last tournament that way. He shot in on a single. This was gi jiu-jitsu. Uh-huh. And then I was like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> you know, that was like a <laughs> gift to me. I, was, I already had my grips. I had his sleeve control. He tried to shoot in on the leg. And I'm like, okay, this is all I need. Boop. Uh-huh, Flew, yeah, fly through the sky with Yamada. <laughs> air, air, Iran. Iran air. <laughs> Iran air. The, we, could rec- we could definitely guarantee a good takeoff, but the landing <laughs> is on you. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that's been a tradition in in Persian a- aeronautics yeah. because of our uh, our Russian aircraft. What was it called? The uh, so. Hold on, let me ask. Mama, <laughs> she's in the kitchen right now. I gotta ask her. Mama, what was that airplane that we were fl- that nobody should fly in Iran? Sosolov. Uh, the Russian. The Russian, Russian airline. airline. Yeah. yeah, it was a Russian airplane that they were that they were flying on Iran air for a while. And it's like crashed five, six times, you know, but it's too expensive to buy new ones. Anyway. No, it's not. It has nothing to do with expensiveness. Iran has more than enough money to buy it. It's there's, there's a embargo. Oh, you're right. You're yeah, right. Probably because they can't buy Boeing's. Yeah. Boeing right. was about to do like this billion dollar freaking sale. And then uh, something happened with the sanctions and they're like, Nope. So that back sucks, dude. Yeah, man, it's 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 and and it's not like the government that's suffering from it, man. It's the people. These yeah. are civilian aircrafts, you know. Yeah, totally, man. I I had a dream, dude. It's crazy that you hit me up. Was I had a cre- I had a dream last night that I flew into Iran and I was going through passport control, and then I woke up. Wait, have you ever been? I've never been, dude. Why? Well, just like you know, my my dad was scared because he was like a political dissident. And for the record, I don't live with my mom. If anybody's like, oh, you can you can run a dojo, but you end up living with your mom. I don't. I'm just visiting for Sunday breakfast, assholes. Okay, but uh, who the fuck? Who? Why? Why would you even have to clarify something like that? <laughs> what the fuck, dude? It's the worst. Um, on we're gonna talk about the dating sites later. Uh huh. But I take care of my mom. My mom's not well, so I take care of her. And then be like, right. "You live with your mom." I'm like, I pay all the bills, motherfuckers. <laughs> and they're like, "Oh my god, you live you with have, your mom." You have a you have a point there, man. If you're taking care of your own, it's different. Yeah, yeah. we're we're very uh, family oriented culture. For those of you who are interested in learning more about Iranian culture, but yeah, you really should go. It's so it's so much fun, and. The type, the type of monsters you meet while you're there, you're like, if this guy had the ability to leave the country, he would be a world champion 20 times over. Like, 
a lot of these guys that are like the uh, third string, fourth string wrestlers for the national team, yeah, they could go to any country they want and easily become the Olympian. Like Dagestan does that a lot. I see it's so funny. I'm watching wrestling for like the French team. The guy's name is Khadjiev for for uh, Hungary. It's Magomedov. I'm like, yeah, totally, totally, definitely not from pure right from Dagestan. Yeah, exactly. And it, uh, dude, I, I actually was inspired by you because like you were going to Iran a bunch, and I was like, dude, Mike is over there having the time of his life, <laughs> hanging out with gangsters and fucking <laughs> Khofosh. What's his name? Ali Khofosh. Ali Khofosh. And I was like, <laughs> dude, that's so sick. I want to go there, you know. Uh, and, and my family's like an iceberg, you know. It's uh, like only a, the tip of it is here in the U.S. And then mm-hmm. the, all the rest of them are in Iran. So I haven't seen them since. I mean, I, I've been there technically when I was like a year old. But mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So, so you were born there? Born and raised in, in, uh, in America. Wait, so was, you went to Iran when you were one? Yeah, my parents brought me over because, you know, my grandparents were old and they wanted them to see their grandkid and stuff. Yeah, they're so nice. Yeah, man, you're going to have a blast. I really hope you can make the trip soon. And what is your family in Tehran? I think most of them are in Tehran. And then, um, you know, we're like my last name, Sofian. Sofiani Mm -hmm. means we're from like Sofian area, Mm -hmm. like Tabrizi kind of people. Mm -hmm. Um, But my, my dad grew up his his father was the foreman of the railroad so he was he was traveling all over iran like living southern iran western iran you know they laid like three thousand miles of rail so wow so he was he was traveling everywhere but you know basically we're torque you know well something there's this retarded movement in iran it's this (laughs) torque movement and i'm like listen if you're an Iranian Turk, right? You're just Iranian and you speak Turk, Tur- you know, Turkey. Azadi, right? Yeah, but a real, a real Turk is like someone from freaking Kazakhstan or Kyrgyzstan or the Ural Altay area. You know what I mean? Right, like of serious Turk ancestry. We we. It- we're we're kind of we just know the language and it's exactly. kind of like your your descendants, right? Exactly. But exactly. yeah, I, I I I was following that for a while. Like now there are Iranians in Iran, or you know, Azeris in Iran, like northern Iran, who are like trying to lead a revolution. Yeah, like, get like, sovereignty. Bro, we're literally the same freaking DNA. What do you? Yeah, mean? like during the Armenia Azerbaijan conflict at the height of that. They were trying to say, oh, you're taking care of Armenia and all this kind of stuff. We want to separate. Oh, and it's man. like, dude, chill out. All right. Yeah, because, it, I mean, uh, much love to both countries. But yeah. fucking Iran and Armenia have literally 5,000 years of friendly history. It's true. I'm not going to not. And the, and the help wasn't even, I don't think it was military help. It was like just food and 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 energy and stuff like that i mean honestly it's like the kingdoms overlapped you know yeah. for, for a while kingdom of armenia was like in iran and then you know for a while iran you know persian empire was in armenia so like dude i have so many armenian friends i'm almost armenian by association i was just telling my mom like sometimes i go to my friend nurse's house mm-hmm. and his mom still speaks to me in armenian every time i show up wow and it's because i i you know i can't I actually trained at Gokor's Academy. 
Oh. <laughs> yeah, highest sun MMA from like 2011 to like 2014. Uh-huh. And, you know, th- those are all my my family, you know, my kinfolk kind of thing. But I roll so deep with Armenians that his mom still like says hello and asks me if I'm hungry in Armenian. I'm like, I'm like, Shogik John, I've known you for like nine years now. I, I still don't speak Armenian. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. You know, yeah. you know what's really fascinating? Whenever I whenever I say I'm Iranian, I don't uh-huh. know, California is a lot more open minded, but pretty much in New York nobody knows the difference. Yeah. Like, oh, you're Arabic, right? I'm like, no, I'm Iranian. And I don't even I don't even bother explaining the difference because whatever. I, but, I, uh, I learned how to explain the difference if you'll have me. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I always tell people because people in LA now they ask, all right, what's the difference between Persian and Iranian? And I, I found I found a decent answer. Oh well this one yeah, this one I can explain, but yeah. So like, you know, people are like, okay, there's no more country of Persia. I'm like, well, Persia Persian is actually an ethnicity. Iranian is just the nationality. So in Iran you have over hundred and fifty ethnicities living in Iran. You know, not just Persians. You have, you know, Kurds, you have Azari, you have Armenian, you have uh, you know, even people are Jewish. There are Koreans. There are Mongolians living in Iran. You yeah. know, so th- those people aren't Persian uh, per se. You know, mm-hmm. but um, but they're they're still Iranian. Yeah, yeah. You know? That that that's how I explain it too. But then there's then there's some then there's some ethnicities who, although the name is not Persian, they're pretty much Persian. So like, like if you're Kurdi. That's that's its own thing. If you're, but if you're from Loristan, Gorgon, Mazandaran, yeah, the language is different, but you're pretty much Persian. Right. Where's your Where's your family from? Mazandaran. Wow. Okay. So is that is that Gilan? That's uh. So Gilan is to the left. Mazandaran is straight in the middle. So Hassan Yazdani, Reza Yazdani, all the good wrestlers are from that region. Oh my God. Yeah, and uh, we speak. Mazandarani, which there's a lot of Farsi in it, but you know, ethnicity-wise, we're pretty we're Persian. You know, just similar to the Bakhtiari and the Lors and all those guys. Right. Yeah, and even there's Arabs in Iran. There are Iranian Arabs, and it's funny when Saddam Hussein attacked Iran, he goes to the Iranian Arabs, say, "Hey, we're your Arabic kinfolk." You know, we're going to invade and free you. And they're like, we're already free. And they actually ended up fighting Saddam Hussein, which was. Wow. Yeah. See, dude, I really appreciate how versed you are in Persian culture. I think that's why why I connect with you so well. It's like, even though you're a, you're a, uh, a while and out New Jersey guy, you know what I mean? You're still (laughs) very Persian, very Persian at heart. Dude, there's something different in the water in Jersey. You have to. Oh yeah. We're, we're there. You know what's fascinating how how I realized this big time is when my team moved to Puerto Rico, they all kind of changed as well. Their their personalities, their the way they conduct themselves. When you change where you are, it changes you a little. New Jersey, the weather is always fucking it the summertime is disgusting and hot. The wintertime <laughs> is fucking freezing. Everybody's fucking super rowdy. 
we're cursing each other off when we drive. There definitely is something in the water here. I agree with you. And there's a lot of excellence coming from Jersey. You know, there's a, bun- a bunch of Olympians, great wrestlers, good judoka, um, and yeah, just like great athletes in general. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you got like, you know, Jersey's also responsible for mobsters and, and you know, like garbage controversy, you know, like. Yeah. Rawway, New Jersey has got the like a big ass state prison. I oh mean, yeah, it's oh, wild, dude. Fucking wild. It's a, it's yeah. a fucking wild place. Mm. Um, one more thing before we change topics is um, because I wanted to bring up the Armenian thing. Uh, mm. So everyone always confuses us for you know, oh, are you Arabic, whatever. And I would say Iranian culture, the next closest culture to Iranian culture in the region, is definitely Armenian. Mm. Yeah, I see uh, much more cultural similarities in the two um, based off of, you know, my life. Like, Tarof is is, is, a, is huge. Ha, huh? yeah, it's the same thing with Armenians. Um, you know, Iranians, for the most part, at least the ones in America, aren't that religious. But the other countries that come over, they're, they're very, very religious still. Yeah. I'll tell and, you what, one of the funny things is that... Um, in the similarities even though iran's like a mostly muslim uh country at the moment mm-hmm. armenia armenia is not but they still all the dudes party together and drink and dance in a circle you know ah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they do that shit in iran too it's That's so hilarious it's only men have you noticed yeah it's like the only yeah and dude, there's I've had many occasion where it's like been a, a bro's birthday or whatever, and they they get a table at like a, a restaurant, like a banquet <laughs> hall, and they get drunk and dance around a bottle of vodka or whatever. <laughs> and then you know, an Armenian guy comes in to hug you and they want to kiss you on the cheek and they give you this sweaty kiss on the neck. Oh god, we all know that. You know that one, dude. Oh god. <laughs> dude, it's uh just for, for the for my white friends listening. And uh, so in Iranian, whatever, Middle East, I'm just going to say Iranian for now. You know, it's it's totally normal to go to a party where it's just a bunch of heterosexual men dancing. (laughs) 100% heterosexual. Nobody's gay, but they're they meet up, they drink and they dance like that's a thing. (laughs) And that's why I love these gangster parties in Iran. It's like hardcore gangsters. Yeah, "Yeah, we have we're we're partying this weekend. (laughs) Where are the chicks? Literally a bunch of men. (laughs) Bunch of dudes with giant mustaches and and big arms. And they're all jacked. It's fucking amazing. (laughs) And it was funny. I was in Iran. I'm telling these guys, like, you know, I really want to. You know, I want to experience one of these gangster parties. And we like, we got you. We got you. And a girl that I was with at the time is like, oh, my God, I can't wait. And they kind of they kind of had to explain to her. That she's not coming. <laughs> not, you, you Sorry, oh. Ali Khofash doesn't do it that way. Oh, man, it was amazing. It was so fucking funny. She was so pissed off. Yeah, That's man. so great. Oh man, but yeah, the Armenian culture for sure. Like, uh, I think the reason why I connect so well with Armenian guys in LA is because um, they hold on to their culture so well, mm-hmm. and they're so proud of it. 
that it's easy to interact with them for me because I grew up like, you know, my parents spoke Farsi when I grew up. So I learned Farsi in the household. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those, you know, I went to all the Persian functions and stuff. And uh, it seems like all the other Persian kids that I knew in L.A. didn't speak Farsi at home. Oh didn't go to the parties, you know. Yeah. And they don't know. Disgrace. They don't know. You know, that's a little they're, they're still good kids. But at no, the same time, like no, they don't have like, them, You got to write them off. <laughs> I hate it when people come to me. Oh man, I I love Iran. I'm like, first yeah. of all, it's Iran. They're like, man, I totally want to learn about the culture. And I'm like, what the fuck is stopping you? What the fuck is stopping you? You're fucking Iranian. Why don't you speak your fucking language, bro? You're right. Uh, I'm being a little diplomatic, but yeah, at the that. same time, at the same time, you know. Um, yeah, Armenian guys don't do that. They don't forget. You know, they all speak Armenian. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, it's like they don't want to admit it either. <laughs> it's funny, dude. I don't I don't care who you grab. You can grab the most progressive Armenian. He's probably going to end up in a giant uh traditional Armenian wedding with an Armenian girl. Oh, you know, yeah. they're that they're that proud. You you could march in Black Lives Matter in in May and then still end up in a orthodox wedding. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, uh, 100%. At one thing I want, since we're bringing up uh, uh, progressiveness and whatnot, mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on the term toxic masculinity? Um, you know, I, I thought a lot, a, lot, a lot about this last year because it seemed like uh, when, you were, when we were all locked up in our homes, all you had was like, you know, social media to kind of purport these kind of terms mm -hmm. and having to come to, literally having to come to terms with what people are like labeling things as mm -hmm. and i mean toxic masculinity is just it's just bad behavior from men mm -hmm. you know it's like because real masculinity there's nothing toxic about it mm -hmm. it's just it's just when when you have people that uh, you know, and they describe toxic masculinity as saying, you know, oh, well, the boys will just be the boys or men that um, that act out of ego alone. And it's like and it falls flat on its face. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, that's just people that sucked at what they did. You know, that's, like, <laughs> that's just that's just bad behavior. Right. Interesting. Like we don't celebrate. We celebrate masculine figures that make us feel good and, you know, take care of us. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't. And then all the other masculine figures that we consider to be, you know, quote unquote, toxic are probably the ones that didn't make us feel safe and didn't take care of us. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, I think toxic masculinity is just a really easy way to label something. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're just all about making things easier for ourselves. That's it. Interesting. So, so what what are some things like scenarios you could think of that would be toxically masculine because i feel like a lot of people how about you want me to give an example first go ahead go ahead okay so so okay um this i would get called toxic mass toxically masculine for this uh i love me and my friend we want to freaking play a sport we start talking shit to each other mm -hmm. uh we talk shit to each other while we train it's fun they say oh that's a dick measuring contest. That's that's toxic <laughs> masculinity. Uh, no, uh, it's fucking not. It's just boys being boys. I, I think, yeah, I think that's just like competition in general. Mm -hmm. That's what that is. Mm -hmm. So like, 
you know, um, that's yeah, even the boys being boys thing. I, I've seen girls do that, you know, girls, yeah. girl wrestlers or girl judoka. So it's not it's a competitive thing. That's not a toxic masculinity thing, you know. Uh, and also, like, in reality, our society has no reason to really fight each other. So, like, mm-hmm. talking shit is so necessary. You know what I mean? Like, we don't like uh, I'm good. Like, you know, I can go get food. I have security. I have shelter. Mm-hmm. I have the internet and like you're telling me I got to fight this fool like sometimes sometimes you have to you have to like you know warm up warm up the competitive edge you know mm-hmm. so the only way you do that is by talking a little bit of shit you know yeah that's it and but uh here I'll give you another I'll give you an example I just thought of of what I what I consider to be toxic ma- mm-hmm. masculinity or if if you're going to call it that you mm-hmm. should you should definitely this is the situation is where mm-hmm. You know, a guy is is trying to make a decision for the group, and it's obviously not the best one. Mm-hmm. And their ego gets to them, and they just decide to do the thing anyway, and it falls on its ass because okay. you know he's dying on that hill. You know, maybe they could be like, "Hey, uh, don't take the boat that way. There's rocks over there." And just because, like, you know, you just happen to be the leader of the group, and you're like, "No, if I if I give way now." You know, I'm not going to be a good leader. It's like, no, you, like sometimes people have good information mm-hmm. and you have to be able to like, you know, set your ego down and be like, hmm, that's good information. What I could do is to be a better person, a better leader is to accept that information and maybe celebrate that person for giving me good information as yeah. opposed to just putting your head down like a gorilla and be like, no, screw you We're going <laughs> over there and then sinking the ship. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, that's what that's what a lot of men do. They're like, they get so riled up in the moment. And they're like, no, I'm the man, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make this decision, and that just comes from from bad behavior, like I said. Mm. So, yeah, I agree with you on that a hundred percent. And like uh, another another ex- another thing I could think of is like, yeah, I do jujitsu, I lift whatever, but I also fucking dance doromi. Yeah, I fucking sing. And then sometimes people will hit me up in the inbox by you fag or you fucking gay. (laughs) And then um, I'll be like, fight me, brother. Fight me. So like for them to criticize me for doing something that may or may not be considered masculine, like Mm -hmm. I think that is toxic masculinity. You know, putting someone down for maybe doing something that's not a tough guy thing. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. It's like, you know, toxic masculinity, I think, is just a way that people have been able to label ignorance like being ignorant of something and not being willing to change that's toxic whether yeah. it's masculine or feminine yeah so ignorant ignorance is the enemy here it's not it's not masculinity because yeah. in reality you need masculinity whether it, it comes from a man or a woman you need it exactly so. sometimes you need it and like the one thing i realize about iranian culture and and armenian culture mm-hmm is what I love about it is that masculinity is really praised. Right. Like having a beard, being a tough guy, that's cool. It's not seen as insensitive and overly <laughs> masculine. And I love that. It's so cool. Like when I go back and I... Yeah, it's, you, like, it's like it's like you could still be a warrior and not be that criticized. Exactly. You know? Just yeah, dude. Remember when you, you know things could there could be a power outage and you need a tough guy. You know? <laughs> like, let's be real. We're one power outage from needing tough people. 
Exactly. A hundred percent. And, um, what was I going to say? One more thing. Um, it's a fucking overused quote and I really fucking hate it. I used to love it. The whole hard times create tough men one. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? And then soft times create yeah. hard men. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the hard times are going to come and you're going to need those hard men. You know, you're going to need those quote unquote toxic men. Mm. Um, one, one cool topic I wanted to talk about since we're on the uh, topic of manliness, Mm. you know, I do a lot of, you do, I do a lot of, um, dating, uh, podcasts as well. Right. So, uh, I'm not the best looking guy. But I do. You're the most handsome, ugly guy I know. I like that. I like that. (laughs) I like that title. I'm the most handsome of the ugly guys. And, you know, I only say that because you keep calling yourself ugly and you're not, Mike. And you have a good personality, but go ahead. So I have a lot of students who are bigger dudes, over Uh 300 pounds. Yeah. And um, when they come to Immortals, right, uh, they're first they're a little shy. And then I, mm. I show them, you're a tough dude, man. Fucking train hard. Before you know it, it's the middle of the summer. They don't give a fuck. They take their shirt off. Yeah. Now they're walking outside with no shirt. Mm. Now girls are hitting them up. Yeah. They're fucking getting girls left and right. Something I really love about you that uh, – um really inspired me for those of you uh listening my boy arash is six foot three and what are you 320 330 i'm 285 now though oh shit <laughs> so i remember you when you were 340 yeah it was it was it was enormous and you are always slaying like you always have a super <laughs> fucking hot girlfriend and i would <laughs> We should do a whole other podcast on this topic. As a bigger dude, as a larger dude, what is the secret to getting girls still? Because a lot of my students who are larger, they don't have self-confidence. You know, they're they're like, oh, I'm fat. I'm like, no, you're not fat. You're just a big dude. And I see you. You dress nice. You look nice. You always have your shirt off. And you get get a lot of girls. So what are are some tips you could give my, uh, my bigger members of my audience? Oh, dude, I could write, you know, I, I'm probably like two years away from writing a book. If I, I honestly think you should write a fucking but, book, dude, you really but, should. But I think I think the key thing is, you know, everybody says confidence, but I think you need to be to create habits that create confidence. So mm-hmm. like, what are some things, you know, start off by first of all, everybody brush your teeth every morning. Okay, because <laughs> big dudes will like have a big meal. Okay, this is when you're large. You like have a big meal, and sometimes you'll pass out on the the food you just ate, and uh-huh. you for, you forget to brush your teeth before you go to bed because you're a lazy, uh, lazy piece of shit. All right, you're enormous. It takes a lot of energy for you to get to the bathroom. You have to <laughs> brush your teeth because you wake up that morning, and uh, you know. Your mouth is rotten, all that kind of stuff. Like you can't talk to anybody if your if your mouth is rotten, you know. Uh-huh. So start by brushing your teeth, making your bed, making sure your clothes are clean. You wear deodorant because you you're probably producing odor if you're uh-huh. large. Uh-huh. And so like these are all things that I fixed. And then 
and then you move on to the things that you can uh you know you move from the things that you can control to the things that you can't control which is like whether people say yes or no to a date because like once once you have the confidence to walk up to somebody and be like there's nothing wrong with how i'm approaching this person i'm clean i've got you know i, I got my hair cut i brush my teeth you know my house is clean um then i can talk to anybody in the world and then it's all about whether that person's down to vibe with me or not okay so uh, my biggest tip is create conf- create habits that create confidence that's my biggest tip but also lose a little bit of weight you know doesn't help it uh, doesn't hurt doesn't hurt yeah but as far as other than brushing your teeth and all that shit like the style of dress like oh yeah you got to figure out your style i think i think for one uh don't go overly baggy you know but also don't go too tight Mm-hmm. So like athletic athletic jeans like Levi made athletic jeans and stuff like that those fit nicely, and they don't they don't chafe too bad. Mm-hmm. And then um and then you, you know like a you nice... rock a lot of the Hawaiian shirts which I like. <laughs> I, I I do like flannels and stuff too, and you know yeah just uh, yeah those Tommy Bahamas those those work too a little bit, you know don't overdo it but you know create a create a style Carhartt. Carhartt's tight because you know act, look at Action Bronson. He started off at like 350 pounds and he was wearing Carhartt uh, shorts and t-shirts every day. Wow! And he he it looked like his his uniform, you know, like you just knew he would he would be rocking that. So any any mental tips other than the habits? Like for me, I noticed that um, I I you're a lot younger than me, right? So, mm-hmm. so when I was your age, the hot look was Jersey Shore. So like, yeah, fucking shaved chest, um, tan, spiked hair. That's just not something I, I'm physically able to do. I just don't, I can't make that look work. Yeah. And I noticed recently there's a resurgence in like the um, appreciation of like a manly looking dude. Mm-hmm. So like I'm matching with these girls. They're like, oh, you're, you're, you're sexy. I'm like, you must be fucking blind. But then they say, <laughs> but the, the new thing is I notice is like women like hairy dudes, like kind of husky dudes, yeah. like not the six pack abs anymore. So well, here here's the thing, man. It, it comes down to to supply and demand. Mm-hmm. All right. The beautiful thing about the internet is that it was able to meet the supply. Like you know, you can buy all kinds of crazy stuff on the internet that you like mm-hmm. now and it's mm-hmm. the same thing with uh you know uh romantic interests mm-hmm. yeah now before imagine dating used to be oh i have to go to the bar and meet somebody oh or, god or have to go to the place to meet the person or whatever now you can literally advertise whatever lifestyle that you do and that person can decide right then and there i like that person's lifestyle i want to date them uh-huh so it's it, now you get these people that are in niche niche areas. You know, my I don't know if you know this guy named Mike Cernovich. He's got like a political. Um, I mean, he's made his name in politics uh, with like shit. Trump and stuff. And I would check him out at Cernovich is his uh, his mm-hmm. Instagram. Uh, he we used to train Sambo together, and he told me, "Dude, don't he he like I remember his conversation. I was seventeen. And I was like, dude, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm a big guy. I don't think these girls like that big guy look. And he's like, dude, there's some chick out there who's just waiting to hook up with a big guy. Just yeah. relax. And then, like, sure enough, his, his wise words came like 10 years you know, later to be true. 
So I think the biggest mental thing is just like, remember to be yourself. And also remember, there's one person for everybody out there for mm -hmm. sure, for a hundred percent sure. Um, also be, be like, have good homies that are able to like build your confidence up too. Mm -hmm. So when you're at places, like it's kind of like a competitive, you got to apply the same things you do in competition to dating. First of all, you don't want to be, if you suck at an underhook defense, don't get in an underhook, right? Yeah. Well, big guys don't go to a loud nightclub to hook up with girls dude. Uh, because that's not idea. your arena. Yeah. Okay. The transaction time for attract attraction in a loud, loud nightclub is like five seconds. Yeah. They look you up and down. They're like, okay, that shape doesn't match what I want. Okay. I'm out of here. Yeah. Go to a jazz club where you can sit sit down next to somebody and strike a conversation. Yes. And 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 you can use the weapons that are actually uh you know whatever you have that's awesome, they can actually see it. But if you go if you're if you're fat and sweaty in a nightclub, you know, <laughs> you're not you're not getting shit. You're just getting sweatier and more broke. <laughs> Dude, I give that tip in my how to pick up chicks while ugly uh one because like back back in my day bro we didn't have tinder we didn't have minder or Muzzmatch. so i'd have to go to fucking clubs they get one good look at me and they're like yeah we're out of here yeah so you look me, like an indian tourist in, in, the, in a button down in a lousy nightclub you look like an indian tourist exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so i go to freaking like a bar with with music that's low or a lounge or something like that and the conversation is where I get it started. Is that where you meet most of your ladies or where do you meet most of your ladies? I mean, honestly, uh, I, I met I was a bouncer, so I, I met a lot of girls that way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just through. So I, actually, the best connections I've made are through friends. So. Wow. But but yeah, like at the environment was always low volume. Yeah. <laughs> You, I could, you know, you can look into my beard and be captivated. Uh huh. All right, and, and I would, I would just tractor beam you in, you know, with my 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 sultry voice. So <laughs> that's amazing. We got to do an entire episode on that one day. I think it will be really, really. really I great. think we can blow the doors off <laughs> of dating. We'll go. So, um, this is something I really wanted to talk about. Um, we both opened up a gym during quarantine yes so please tell us from the beginning to now the process of that because i got to watch that unfold on instagram yes west side judo grappling and performance mm -hmm. that's right in culver city california we i started uh because during quarantine you know the first thing i did was build myself like a home gym because mm -hmm. i already had like a little collection of weights but you know i was mostly doing like jailhouse strong josh bryant workouts mm -hmm you know, uh, prison workouts pretty much. And then I was like, well, I'm going to get some weights because I'm always going to use them for the rest of my life. Yeah. And, uh, so I made some big purchases, made a gym. And then I was like, well, if this, this COVID things keeps going, like it was May and I was like, well, I should probably like get some mats and see if some homies want to roll. <laughs> so then I bought like some mats from a place that was closing down and then I put them in my backyard and then my friend saw it. And she goes, her name's Lee. Uh, she, she's a USA national team. And mm -hmm. she got within the top 40 in the world this last Olympic cycle and just missed out on qualification. Wow. But she, she was like, dude, you have mats in your backyard. Uh, you know, all the dojos are closed. Can I come train with you? 
And I was like, yeah, just bring whatever training partners you want. You probably don't want to be training with me because I'm too big. But uh-huh. um, so they came, they were training. And then, you know, it started with just mats on a tarp. And then we got like a little 10 by 10 tent. And then I was like, that's too small. So then I went and bought like a 20 by 20 party tent for like 600 bucks. Wow. And then put all I get. She brought her own mats because her dad runs like a YMCA judo program for like the last thirty years or so. Wow! So she brought more mats. So we had like a twenty by twenty mat space, and then she kept bringing more people to train with her. You know, for her Olympic run. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I started training a little bit, and then you know, unfortunately, I got injured like two times from unrelated things. So I barely used that backyard dojo. What did you get hit by a car or something? Well, last year, yeah, I got hit by two cars in uh, at a stop sign. <laughs> two in front of my fucking house. cars, not yeah. one, two. The first one stop- hit me full speed, uh, making a left turn at a at a stoplight. Like I was halfway through the stop walk, and they hit me. And then the second one hit me when I was still on the ground trying to get up. Oh my god! Yeah. And then you said in the post, I remember getting judo thrown is actually worse <laughs> were you being funny or actually? yeah i was i was being funny i'm like dude it's it's way harder to to get thrown in judo than get hit by cars but, oh man yeah but you get paid more when you get hit by cars I'm just oh yeah <laughs> nice it was like a ufc fight night you know that's amazing yeah but so, so what what else happened oh yeah so growing the growing like I, uh, I had a stress fracture in my foot, like August 31st, which was my birthday. Mm-hmm. So I was out for like three months there. And then when I was finally able to train, uh, I got, I, I was working temporarily at uh, USC as a strength coach, you mm-hmm. know, to help them out during COVID for four months. So I was there like 14 hour days and no time oh, to train. Wow. Oh, wow. And then I sprained my MCL training for a judo tournament again. I was oh, going with God. a guy that was a little bit out of shape and, uh, he he did like a drop sail on me, but he pretty much did like the equivalent of a chop block on my right leg. Oh god! And injured my MCL, and then um, yeah. So by the time it was like my folks were ready to go move into a new place, and they bought a new house. Uh, I was like, my dad had a retail space, a, a restaurant space that I grew up in that was open from a tenant, and I was like, Dad, I'm just gonna move mats in here, and he was like, uh, Okay. So yeah because he was resistant to the idea at first he's like no don't do it uh find another place to do it and then it was the last day and i was like no screw this dude and you know it was it was all like it was just my dad having that protective immigrant father thing of i don't want you to fail kind of thing and so so i just moved it all in wow and then i and then he was he saw once he saw it all moved in then he was like, okay, I, I can visualize it now, you know, then, <laughs> but you know, it all had, it all stemmed from me being like, no, nah, screw this. I know this is going to work. So, yeah. so then, yeah, set up the maths and it, it's been a, it's been a really quick process to like start training again. But at the same time, like we've got like a, we've got a pretty solid crew now of about t- 10 to 12 people in the last month regularly coming and then i started doing nogi classes which is basically just teaching wrestling and some basic submissions and then as i grow i'm going to teach more too you know as i learn more nogi techniques and so nogi judo and then i also personally train people you know because i've uh, i'm you know i'm a 
certified strength and conditioning coach. So I've been training people and doing remote training uh, programs for elite athletes, basketball, mm-hmm. judo, water polo, you have it, you know, so. And um, now that you compete, does it feel any different now that you're a gym owner? 100%. I actually, I, I vibe with the sentiments that you've been sharing. It's like, when I go compete, I'm representing my school, kind of. Yeah. You know, there's like an honor thing to it, where it's like, when I go and I act in public, I mean, you should have this anyway, but you have less of a, of a responsibility when it's not your school. Yeah. You know? So, so like, when you're hanging around, it's like, I'm with the... I'm with, you know, the Gracie Baja of Lafayette, Louisiana. It's like nobody, you know what I mean? Like you're just, you're just a student, which you should be carrying yourself in high esteem. But if you're the, uh, the school, you run the school, like people hold you in, you should, you should always be acting the best. But when it's your own school, you got to have a little bit more pride, you know, in the way you act. And exactly. Stuff. Like last tournament I did, one of my, one of my students, um, <clears throat> got into a submission and he grunted he didn't tap and the fucking ref does a verbal tap for him and mm-hmm. these assholes just acted like complete clowns like mm-hmm. over celebrated so much mm-hmm. and all i wanted to do is go punch that coach in the fucking face yeah and i'm like i own the school now fuck i gotta be a good boy it's, yeah, and yeah, even yeah. when I compete, it's like I'm not just representing myself anymore. I'm representing my students. I'm representing my school. You know, I have to conduct myself a little differently. And there's so much more on the line now. A hundred percent. I also, you know, uh, going back to my strength conditioning experience, I learned that when you're the coach, you're such like a center of people's. Um, you know, you set the tone for the culture of the place. So whether you like it or not, your the eyes are on you, you know, it's like, even when, you know, I'm lifting in the university weight room of the place I work at, like whether I like it or not, the athletes are watching the shit out of me, you Mm -hmm. know, like, even if it's a, like a couple of them who are just hanging out there, like doing foam rolling or, you know, corrective exercise, or like Mm -hmm. a couple of them are just passing by, like how I lift, how I, how I uh, conduct myself in the weight room is being monitored. And then if they look at that and they see something that, you know, is not something I expect of them and I'm doing it, then they're just like, Oh, screw this guy. You know, yeah, he's a clown. What are some things that maybe you got to avoid doing in the weight room, like texting too much or being, you know, taking selfies or what? (laughs) I mean, I'm never taking selfies in the weight room uh, until afterwards, you know, when Mm -hmm. I got a sick pump. But, but it's mostly like, uh, I would say how I rack weights, how I, uh, how I'm focusing before and after how I approach the weights. And then also like putting weights away, making sure everything's cleaned up. Um, but biggest one is probably like form, you know, if there's, Mm -hmm. if there's a form that you expect from your athletes and you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. you know wow that that one is just like all right how are you gonna explain yourself now wow. so uh, when i when i uh there's no ego lifting when you're the coach ever okay. you know unless unless you know so you really have to dial it in and be perfect because you expect that from your athletes um but you know i think i think in judo and jiu-jitsu it's a little different because like obviously you're not going to go for moves that you're not 
specialized in Mm -hmm. you know like if you're really if you're really good at something you do like only three or four moves but uh and you can try new ones and you're not going to be perfect at it but Uh in lifting it's like you should be able to do a bench press perfectly you should be able to do a power clean really well if you're going to coach your athletes to do it so those are those those are just little things and also not you know not acting like a jerk in the weight room you Mm -hmm. know like be encouraging so yeah and uh one more thing as far as um being a gym owner so like john has us do positional rounds we start in mount we start in turtle we start in uh guard Mm -hmm. and at first there was a little pushback from one of my some of my more annoying guys they're like oh why are we doing this why can't we just start regularly from the feet i'm like because you need to get good at positional training yeah and then um so i already do my positional training in the morning when i go to my main gym not my yeah. own gym. so i'm like all right so i don't have to do positional training but then i realized nah man if these guys see you not doing it they're gonna think it's not important so i just do it again right the mount the turtle the guard rounds so i could kind of relate with what you're saying there Mm. and yeah that's that's a funny i had i had a similar mental hurdle it was like i was i think i was training uh, like right now i train jujitsu at like noon Mm -hmm. and then i i coach at at 7 30 at night Uh so then like if we're working on something in jujitsu and you know i don't mentally i don't necessarily want to work on the same position at yeah (laughs) you know it's just kind of like man you know but then i realized like i you know they didn't do it yet you know like we have to do half guard work tonight exactly (laughs) uh same issue but mine is more like for the group i'm like i forget that oh not you know 12 of us did not do this at noon you know so yeah i i definitely have felt that before um but yeah, it all comes down to all right. You're setting expectations for a group of people. If you're not willing to meet it for yourself, then they're not they're not willing to follow you. Yeah, I agree with you. How's house training with? Uh, I'm curious. What are some really unique uh, coaching, uh, you know, tips or tricks or or just techniques that you notice from John being yeah, around so Sensei Donaher? I don't know. I how. pretty much told him this. I told him this to his face and he laughed and he's like, you know, I'm cause he busts my balls a lot. He's like, sure. You know, I'm, I'm really surprised that your gym hasn't failed yet and that you're doing pretty good. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I'll be honest with you, John. I just pretty much ripped off your teaching style to the T <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's why it's successful. So pretty much what I do is I, um, what John does, he takes a move that could be explained in three steps and he'll make it 40 steps. Mm. He'll, he'll just add so much detail in there. And if you fuck up one of those details, you fuck the whole move up. So uh, I make sure to teach in very precise detail. Uh, the positional rounds are super important. Most jujitsu schools, you show up, you do a half an hour warm up. Uh, and the moves that they teach you are very old school moves like freaking Kimura from full guard, which doesn't work. Right. Um, and then every round you start from the knees, which is not practical at all. And, uh, and if it's not the knees, it's the feet or whatever. So the entire round becomes just you trying to pass somebody's guard with the positional rounds. I think that's a game changer. 
We always, every day, guard, turtle. We do positions starting in leg locks, positions starting in arm bar. 50-50. Um, 50-50, yeah. And then when we get our opponents in this position, they barely have practice here. Meanwhile, we have thousands of hours of practice here. And um, and that, that what's, that's what kind of separates the squad. But what I do differently than, than John, I'm, I'm very much more emotionally involved with my students. I'm kind of like their friend. Uh-huh. Um, I'm much more of like a coach. Um, a lot more talking to them, speeches, a lot more motivation. I'll go to the t- tournaments with them. It, it's a lot more of a mentorship type of uh, situation with me as, as well as just being a coach. I got you. I, I bet that's... Uh, that's working really well and the reason why people want to keep coming back is because you're very personable and like they see that you give a shit so yeah but there's a downfall there man i'm very emotionally involved and when someone decides to quit or not give me their not try their hardest it breaks me man i bet you john learned that early on maybe (laughs) exactly yeah but you know it's it's hard to make friends when you're ugly so i I don't mind i don't (laughs) I don't blame you for trying to make everybody your friend. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. It's it's a hard it's a hard fucking life. <laughs> but no, I think I think those those are interesting. I'm gonna definitely add that because I like to coach. I mean, in strength and conditioning, you don't get you only get one hour, yeah. three times a week with people. So you really have to like get down to the nitty gritty. Yeah. But you're also coaching things that are that are not that technical. Yes. Like as much as as much as powerlifters want to think that what they're doing is important work, uh, you learn a bench squat and a deadlift in like a year. Yeah, like a really good one. Well, I mean, you can like I can teach anybody to squat in a month, like a uh, with a bar on their back. You know, given any mobility issues, but like you're trying to when you're trying to teach something as technical as grappling with so many moving pieces, mm-hmm. I think the detail is crucial. It's hard yeah. because, like, your brain will be thinking, "Man, are these people even paying attention? Am I coming across?" But you know, I'll be—you'll be surprised, and I'm sure you say this to people all the time: how much detail you go through, and then people actually pay attention to it. Yes, hundred yeah. percent. Or they're even craving it. Yeah, because that—that's what drew me to John when I went mm-hmm. there, and he and he explained the arm triangle so precisely, totally differently. I'm like, man, I want to train under this guy. So yeah. more detail is better sometimes. Yeah. Plus, you know, it, I mean, if I was smarter, I would have been a lawyer already or a dentist. Oh, but, God. Uh, Typical Iranian profession. Yeah. But like at the same time, I feel like if pe- people speak in more detail, like I get 75% of what they're saying. I get way more than if somebody was saying something very simply. And, then, <laughs> you know, I only get yeah, if there's somebody only teaches me three steps. Then what if I only get two out of three? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if somebody goes in extreme detail, maybe I'll get you know twenty five out of forty. And you know, still so. get it's a it's a bigger net gain in the end. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So man, we fucking hit sixty seven minutes. Man, that flew by real fast. I know, dude. I'm already hungry. I had I had breakfast, <laughs> and I'm hungry again. 
Any any last uh, things you want to say to the audience? Where could they find you other than Instagram? One, uh, you're talking to the real Sultan of Strangles on the West Coast. Uh, <laughs> super fight coming soon between East Coast Sultan and the West Coast Sultan. Oh, no. Oh, uh, <laughs> and then uh, for now, you can catch me on my Instagram at Arash underscore Sufiani. And please follow, share at Westside Judo. Awesome, man. Yeah, on Instagram. And then, you know, I want to be back on this podcast to talk about anything and everything. Hell yeah, man. That was a lot of fun. And I'm yeah. super excited to do it again, man. Yeah, me too, Mike. Thanks again. <laughs> I hope you liked that episode. I heard you learned a lot. Don't forget, guys, make sure to follow me at K-O-O-L-R-A-K. Follow my gym at Immortals Jiu-Jitsu and at Rambling with Rack. Check out the Immortals Jiu-Jitsu website, immortalsjujitsu.com. And check out my Sultan of Strangles series, Scarf Hold, on teachable.com. If you want to support the gym by getting a t-shirt or if you want to get a hoodie, DM me and I'll have one sent your way as soon as possible. Hope you guys have a wonderful day and see you guys next episode.